if we live more in a right brain orientation, then we're using our dreams, we're exercising our ability to be more energetic and living in gratitude or whatever it is that makes the soup of goodness that gives us clarity that we can be in the moment and allow and not have to defend our perspective or be thrown off because somebody doesn't get us. When we can go there, then we are orchestrating everything that we you know, got from the enlightened mind, you know? Welcome to Alone Traveler's Guide to the Divine, a podcast for empaths, healers, dreamers, and seekers. My name is Amanda Lux, and I'm the creator of the Elevation Hive School and Community Membership for Energy Medicine and Dream Work. In this podcast, I offer teachings, poetry, songs, and interviews. And today, I'm so honored to introduce Carrie Hone. Carrie created CafeOsoul.com as a virtual database of dream symbols, ancient oracles, and archetypal information. She also offers apps and music that moves through your chakras. She's a dream analyst, an expert on comparative symbolism of the Eastern and Western archetypes behind the I Ching, tarot, dreams, astrology, and myths. She is passionate about keeping ancient wisdom relevant to modern times. And in this podcast, we have some really juicy conversations about what the purpose of our dreams are and why you should be remembering your dreams and how to remember your dreams. Carrie and I got into some really cool conversations about consciousness, about the right and left sides of the brain, and how to nurture your intuition. In this interview, Carrie and I talk about a concept that she refers to as the 24-hour mind. She says, we spend half of our life dreaming in a boundless energetic state and half of our life observing what we create. According to Carrie, dreams are the key to understanding your intention. And when you remove the barriers on the dream-wake-dream cycle, you gain access to your infinite creativity and the power of your energetic awareness. I just love her way, and I'm so honored and excited to introduce you to Carrie Hone. Welcome, Carrie. I'm so grateful that you're here, and I'm so honored to have this conversation with you today. I'm super excited to introduce you and your work because you just do so many cool things. You're a dream analyst and an author and an astrologer and an expert in so many different really resonant fields, and I'd love to just invite you to say a little bit about you and what you do. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Amanda, for having me on I definitely feel like we're on the same path. And so it's always good to meet a soulmate. <laughs> I basically am best known for my dream work, my books on dreams. I have a dream dictionary on my website and I've kind of worked with dreams my whole life. And 
I see their importance as being, you know, a lot like how poetry, art, and music are important in society, you know, to have this sort of non-literal metaphorical input that allows us to sort of see things differently. And, and I feel like dreams are that important. You know, we spend almost half of our lives dreaming. And so when I first started writing about dreams, it was, it was tough because people still were thinking they were nonsense. This is even back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so it was really funny because as I would approach publishers, they were a little bit like, uh, you're writing about dreams, you know, and then I put my dream dictionary into an app in, in iTunes, and it went to the top 10. And so yeah. it definitely showed that the younger generation gets it. And so I, I feel lucky that I kind of really pioneered this whole road <laughs> in my in my early life. Wow, that's just amazing that you've been in this field for all this time and to have watched it grow. I'm just curious, why do you think dreams are important? I mean, why do you think we even have dreams? I see dreams as the part of us, whether you want to call it soul, higher self, energetic being. You know, there's some part of us that wants to be understood, and that's what is happening in the dreamscape. You know, the body is paralyzed, aspects of consciousness are, are you know, abated, and this other more important side of us, I feel, is able to really understand its existence and help us break through our barriers. And yet when we wake up, you know, ego is there to try to keep everything in the status quo and whatever was repressed was repressed for a reason. So it's really difficult for people to remember their dreams. And that's why I've also spent a large part of my life really working with oracles, translating them, whether it's the I Ching from China or Tarot from the West or astrology, you know, they're all this language. They're, they're all like a mechanism that allows some side of us to have expression. And it's really just about intention. If you sit down with an oracle, the same thing that would happen in your dream, the same ability for that side of yourself to have expression is going to take advantage of it, you know? Oh, yeah. That's a really great way to put it. I definitely am really a big proponent of dream seeding or intentional dreaming. And I mm-hmm. see I see that as a form of dream divination. And, and really, I think life is an affirmation, right? It's an affirmation of, of the truth as we know it, it, the seed that was already there within us. You know, so if our dreams are allowing us to re- really get a better sense of who we are, the oracles allow kind of the same thing because we our intention is that we want to know and and it's you know and we affirm it by opening our mind to like see an objective view of something maybe we didn't we thought we were just crazy about this person but here the oracle is saying you know sharing a little bit different information or the same with a dream where it might reveal how you're using the relationship as a reflection of something you're working through, you know, yeah. the way dreams show everything as your mirror. Yes. And you wrote a whole book about the mythology of sleep and the hero's journey. I talk a little bit about the healer's journey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sort of comparing that to the hero's journey, but you did some work around that. I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, it's called the mythology of sleep because it really compares a hero through the, any given mythical landscape to exactly what happens to us every, every night when we dream. We're the hero of some adventure 
and I use archetypes that, for example, like the first chapters about Norse mythology and Odin and the warrior's wolves, where the second chapter would be more of the survivor archetype and Issus and the famine. And so I use a lot of the mythology landscape of those uh, myths mm -hmm. to show how the dream, you know, the landscape's reflecting us, right? In the dream, everything, all the symbols, even the other people are reflecting you know, some aspect of us. Yeah. And so as, as the landscape shift between these different archetypes or these different mythologies around the world, we, we see why, you know, those types of paths, why they have the, you know, similar dreams, and then each has its own healing journeys. And so of all my books, it's geared more towards healers, like people that are, that really want to get into the nitty gritty psychologists and healers who want to understand the whole methodology of helping people understand how their dreams describe how they construct reality and then why the dreams morph and change. And I think it was in that book where I introduced the three parts of a dream. Yes, what I understood about these three parts were sort of a present, past, future breakdown where you discuss how dreams often morph into different landscapes, almost like different chapters. And what I understood is that the three parts start with you as the dreamer in sort of your current challenge, uh, your hero's journey. And then in the next section, it's something to do with your past. And then in the third part, could be more prophetic. That's where often the real ahas come in. Is that correct? I'd love to hear you share more about this. First off, I have to always say everyone dreams nightly. If we don't dream and people who have their REM or rapid eye movement sleep interrupted, they actually die. Like they actually become psychotic and, you know, there's illnesses that block people from achieving REM sleep. And the rapid eye is saying that you're dreaming because that's why your eyes are moving like that. So whether or not we remember our dreams, we, we all dream every single night. So within that whole nighttime of dreaming, we tend to remember the dreams closer to waking up. Mm -hmm. And those are the ones that, we, that we'll write down. And like you said, if your intention is that you want some kind of guidance, I feel that your higher self, soul, whatever is going to present you with what you're going to best remember. But what people notice is that when they're describing the dream, and, and again, I've been working online with people ever since the internet has been around from all over the world, you know, watching the same stories unfold and all that. Yeah. Um, and so that was where I started to see this, this three parts of a dream. And the, the way you would see it is that you're in one landscape and then suddenly it morphs, but you set, you have a sense that it's the same dream and then it morphs again. And, uh, you know, so there, there, the three parts would be in the first part of the dream, let's say you're working through some sort of conflict, the symbolism and the interpretations would be describing what it is that you're working through. And then as it morphs, a lot of times it will go into maybe some childhood imagery, things related to where it came from. And then the third part is the one I have the most fun with. And it's the part that people immediately want to dismiss. They're like, oh, well, but then in this part, you know, there was a lady running and she had forks in her hair. So that was kind of crazy. So just dismiss that. And it's like, well, no, the third part is what I call the aha. Mm -hmm. So it's probably the portion that's the most bizarre. And again, like I was mentioning with poetry, you know, when things are cryptic and they're not liter literal, but they're, but they still kind of 
engage like a response, you know, the way poetry does, that's what dreams are doing too. And so it's finding, you know, this cryptic way of transcending your ability to shut the information down. And so because it's bizarre or frightening or emotionally uh, resonant, you know, you're going to tend to remember it. And so in that third portion, I get the piece of, okay, this is what needs to happen so that that conflict in the first portion, you know, can be solved. So those are the three parts of a dream. And another fascinating thing that I started to see is that in the third portion is where there's a lot of prophetic information. Mm-hmm. So people, you know, when they start recording their dreams or start seeing it, seeing the three portions, they'll notice that symbolism that comes out of there tends to manifest. Right. And so you can say, well, why are dreams prophetic? Because <laughs> we're accessing, I believe, you know, a more a, a side of our wisdom that transcends what we think of linear time, the present, the past, you know, so we, the fact that we can access that in our dream state tells me that if, you know, we can access it in daily life as well, Yeah. which again, ties back to my work with the oracles and, and astrology. I mean, astrology is crazy accurate. I've been doing charts since I was seven. <laughs> I learned astrology. My aunt was the astrologer to Ronald Reagan. Oh my! And she goodness. taught me astrology when I was seven. I was already interpreting dreams, so at least I came from a family of <laughs> of, yes. of tribes people. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> oh, wow. but you know, yeah. So I've been you know working with astrology, and and when I look at a chart, it is like a language again. Yes. You know, so it's like I don't see the circle and the glyphs and the lines, and it starts like letters coming together. Mm-hmm. In fact, I can just be standing in regular life <laughs> talking to somebody. And see these symbols start like on the left side of their head or something will start to come together to tell a story, you know, but astrology is always a a great way to sort of look behind the scenes, the HTML code, why a certain page looks looks the way it does. When people are stuck, it's it's such a powerful way of of understanding what's your life story? Why did you choose the parents you chose? What's your relationship with your siblings? And you know, what is it that you're here to do? And what is it that you fall back on? And there's, and it's, and it's uncanny how I can know so much about somebody just by reading their chart. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, I just love astrology. And you have a new book that is either just coming out or just came out. About yeah, astrology. just, just came out. Actually, I wrote it last, well, it's still 2021. So I published it this year. Uh-huh. And it's, it's called um, Decoding the Night Sky. And it's really a book about the more ancient Babylonian astrology, Mm. which was really interesting for me because it took, you know, I got to go to the real root of the archetypes behind the signs, which are not what the Greeks made out of it many, many centuries later. And and so the the coding the night sky, it was really an exploration of Babylonian astrology, but what it became was a journey into understanding like how old the idea that we had knowledge a long long time ago I mean when you think of the the Greeks we're talking 500 BC or five you know and then you think of the Babylonians or Sumerians we're talking 2500 BC but this goes way way back so that book was a real adventure because it was just because our written records started in mostly the western world 
you know, of, of us, like the Greeks and the Romans or whatever became our truth or that it, go, it goes way back, you know? So there had to be some civilizations that were either their consciousness was not as overwhelming to their unconscious. I don't know if you know what I mean by that. Mm. Like there's, there's a guy, Julian James, a Princeton psychology professor who makes the premise that the consciousness of the ancient people was like a three-year-old where the unconscious is like has full play and it wasn't until the development of language and logic and the left brain dominance that we then lost our connection to what would have been mythical you know the ability what we can only access now in our sleep let's say would be like sort of an access to the unconscious that is a really fascinating concept i'll tell you that book just so you know in case yeah. anybody wants to look into it the, the author's name is julian james j-a-y-n-e-s and the book is called the origin of consciousness in the breakdown of the bicameral mind wow. <laughs> and i know it's like a mouthful but it's one of my favorite books i read it probably 25 years ago yeah. but he's the one who really pioneered that idea and i totally agree you know based on my research i mean it seems like we were accessing a, a better grade of truth a long time ago yeah. before you know we became people that have like a left brain dominance you know from this book that Carrie was referencing because I was so compelled by this conversation and how it affected the rest of our interview. In the introduction of this book that Carrie was referencing, Julian Jaynes writes, The Problem of Consciousness. Oh, what a world of unseen visions and heard silences this unsubstantial country of the mind. What ineffable essences, these touchless rememberings and unshowable reveries, and the privacy of it all, a secret theater of speechless monologue and prevenient counsel, an invisible mansion of all moods, musings, and mysteries, an infinite resort of disappointments and discoveries, a whole kingdom where each of us reigns reclusively alone, questioning what we will, commanding what we can. A hidden hermitage where we may study out the troubled book of what we have done and yet may do. An intracosm that is more myself than anything I can find in a mirror. This consciousness that is myself of selves, that is everything and yet nothing at all. What is it and where did it come from? and why. Few questions have endured longer or traversed a more perplexing history than this. The problem of consciousness and its place in nature, something about it keeps returning, not taking a solution. It is the difference that will not go away, the difference between what others see of us and our sense of our inner selves and the deep feelings that sustain it. 
The difference between the you and me of the shared behavioral world and the unlocatable location of things thought about. Our reflections and dreams and the imaginary conversations we have with others in which never to be known by anyone we excuse, defend, proclaim our hopes and regrets, our futures and our pasts. All this thick fabric of fancy is so absolutely different from handable, standable, kickable reality with its trees, grass, tables, ocean, hands, stars, even brains. How is this possible? How do these ephemeral existences of our lonely experience fit into the ordered array of nature that somehow surrounds and engulfs this core of knowing? what you think about the value of dream sharing just communal dream sharing and why is that important why is it even important for people to remember their dreams or pay attention to them well I'll answer that in two parts because on one hand I think it's important to share your dreams in a communal like with what you're doing in a forum or the American Indians or Native Americans sort of be that's what they did. They would get up in the morning and share their dreams. They gave their dreams more credibility than whatever was going to happen in the hunt that day is important because it usually takes somebody else to help you be objective about and maybe ask the right questions. Hmm. Well, how, well, what's going on in your life? Are you trying to find something more fulfilling? So I think the communal sharing is huge and I'm, and I'm so glad you're doing that. And I love so I love this new generation and I'm older. So, you know, I mean, it's really refreshing for me to see how this new generation, you and everybody are really embracing our ancient ways of, of doing things. And then the second part of that answer is more for why should we talk to somebody, let's say somebody like me or you, when we have a dream and, and the one of the things, like when people reach out to me about nightmares, mm -hmm. I am always so honored and grateful that I have the opportunity to tell him, to clap for them and tell them, you know, they're here, they're so afraid of what they dream. And I can see how beautiful it is. In fact, when people send me dreams that are, that involve something frightening, I give them the priority because dreams are not literal, they're metaphorical. You can have a dream of looking in a bathroom stall and seeing blood everywhere and a head on the ground and, and then go not want to talk to anybody about it. Like, why am I dreaming that? Or, we, you know, it's not literal. There's maybe something there about revealing intimacy with the bathroom and the blood is the sharing of feeling and, and the head is maybe getting a new way of looking at life. Or So you, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I, I hear that you're saying that it's important to share our dreams so that we can get an objective perspective on them because we can't necessarily see those symbols, but when we share it with somebody else, either in our community or with another a dream expert of some sort, then we get that reflection back that helps us kind of understand it. And not only that, if we, if we dream of something that we find taboo, which is very healthy, 
that's what, you know, dreams are really exploring what we repress, right? So getting them out and talking about it is like what helps them see that there's nothing, you know, nothing to miss. It's all good. It's, you know. Right. I think it's a really a valuable thing. And I think that it has been lost over time. A lot of indigenous cultures globally around the world worked with their dreams and shared their dreams and really honored the dream. And I really love what you said earlier about ancient people and how they had more access to that unconscious. I have two thoughts about that I'd love to ask you, but my experience is that there's this pull between the left-right brain. There's a little bit of a, it's like we have to kind of compartmentalize a little bit to really go there. And I'm really into active dreaming, daydreaming, uh, you know, dream journey work, conscious dreaming, and honoring the imagery. And like you're saying, that's a form of intuitive development too like when you look at people and you see their astrological symbols showing up out of the left side of their head or something right 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 right. I don't know if that happens to you but right to me that's like really that that's engaging that right brain that creative imaginative visual access point and I feel like that that we kind of separate those from our logic and we have so much logic in our world. It's a very left brain. And that's what that's another thing when people ask me, well, why do people have difficulty remembering their dreams? Because we that's a good way to describe it. It's like we're in a in a right brain world when we're in our dreams. Yeah. And everything is like just these symbols. And then the minute that we start to wake up, we're pulled back into the left brain. And the left brain repressed it and didn't want to know it or, or whatever. And so we kind of like it all, it all slips away. So exercising, that's why I was talking in the beginning about poetry, but the, the ability to not be so literal yes. is, is a powerful way to, you know, and which is what I teach a lot too, is I'm teaching people how to see a 24 hour mind, mm. you know, we are we're living and we're having our experiences and then we sleep and we're having our experiences. And tomorrow when we wake up, our experience will be a little different because of what we did in our sleep. And then because of things are different tomorrow, then we're going to dream a little different, you know, so it's really this 24 hour mind having an experience. And, um, you know, so the ability not to have the, the sense of lines to be able to just like be fluid. I was actually thinking about how, uh, you had mentioned like that maybe ancient people had more access to that unconscious. And then you're talking about the 24 hour mind, which is like really honoring the part of our consciousness that happens when we're unconscious too. It's not just like we only have eight hours in the day or whatever. The time that we're sleeping counts. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I kind of, I see life very circular. Like yeah. I don't see it as a linear, like, oh, we started here and we're going to go there we go in circles, I guess, like everything is unfolding like perfectly. And when we were talking about exercise in the right brain, I wanted to just say that that to me is proof that everybody has the ability to be, let's say psychic or, or, or converse in an energetic way, you know, to get information that wasn't necessarily told to us. I think that's a a really important thing to just speak to because I totally agree. I think we all rather than some of us are gifted with some special unique thing and and others of us aren't, I think we all have that capacity. And And you teach that, right? You teach energy work. I do. I've, there's never been a person who's taken a class with me in all these almost 20 years that I've been practicing and teaching 
energy work that has not been able to do it or feel it or see it or make a difference. Some people, it takes longer to develop it or to like get out of that looking for external validation and trusting what we sense and feel inside of ourselves and our own knowing that that could take more for some people than others to develop but i think we all have the capacity and it's just a matter of tapping into it and tuning it which i think the more that we can engage our our right brain then the more and, and in different ways like you said with poetry or with art that those are ways to really engage and strengthen our intuitive muscles. talking about the 24-hour mind, if we think of like the 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. mind as being the enlightened one, I mean, it's the one that's enlightened. It's the one that has got information that's helping us, you know, either evolve into the best expression of what we were meant to do here. Maybe that's one way to put it, or wants to have a specific experience, you know, but it is the more enlightened side of us. If we're, if we live more in a right brain orientation, then we're using our dreams. We're exercising our ability to be more energetic and living in gratitude or whatever it is that makes the soup of goodness that gives us clarity that we can be in the moment and allow and not have to defend our perspective or be thrown off because somebody doesn't get us when we can go there then we are orchestrating everything that we you know got from the enlightened mind right. you know but if we're spending the day building some version of ourselves that has absolutely nothing to do with that seed that was within us, that sense of truth, that vibration that wants to be what it was, thinks it's here to do, you know, then life gets very conflicted, right? We end up banging our head against walls and, you know, not getting along with everybody and blaming everybody for why we're failing when we're actually failing because we're maybe on the wrong path, right. you know? So that's where you have to kind of see the whole, the whole picture. And, you know, again, it's, so, it's always a challenge, you know, people hear me talk about dreams and they get really excited and they want to work with their dreams, but their own mind defeats it. It's true. I'm sorry. The mind is like, it wants to do what it does. It's very comfortable yeah. and it's like, you know, routines. And so you have to really make an effort. You have to put a recording device or paper or something next to your bed. You have to have a real strong intention you know, to ask for the guidance, to write it down when you wake up. And here's the real key. Don't analyze anything. In fact, a good trick is while let's say you're starting to awaken and you're really into that dream, you don't have to remember it all. Just remember one symbol. Just remember that one symbol and, and, and just say it over and over as you wake up and reach over and write it down. And then as you write it down, the rest of the dream will come and write it all without thinking. Right. Because the minute that you shift back into the left brain approach, you know, it, it's all lost. And, and then so, once it's written, you know, then share it with somebody or, or sit with it later. Or That's great advice. I love the way you said that. And I'm just going to repeat it, that you're, you're suggesting that when we're first trying to recall our dreams in the morning, 
just don't try to analyze it right right away. Don't get into that left brain, right? We want to stay open and just record it and be neutral and curious and try not to think, right? Right. <laughs> and also, it's you know, you don't have to remember all of it, just one symbol, because when you remember the one symbol, like the shoe by the beach, mm-hmm. and you write that down, then the rest of it will start to come into place. And another thing is dreams are often very repetitive. I mean, people... I do extensive dream work with people where they send me all their dreams over a week. And so that's like, that can be like 20 dreams or something. And, and a lot of it's just very repetitive. So even if, you know, so just remembering one symbol is enough. And, and again, and I think repeating it with the word shoe by the beach, shoe by the beach, shoe by the beach helps you like stay focused enough to like write it down. And then later, like, you know, it'll all start to come out again. Yes. I love that invitation to just grab onto even one little thing and just dream snippets or one minuscule little piece of a dream can be so potent. It can just unwind everything that's important or contain the whole, right? Every little piece contains the whole in it. (laughs) That's a principle of polarity. But I I just love that idea that if, if you can only just grab one symbol and, mm-hmm. just, and that's where I have to give Freud credit because I know there's a lot of Jungians, but Freud was the one who really, you know, talked about the genius of the psyche, how it can take a very complex, complicated situation and come up with one symbol that tells it all, right. you know. Oh, this is just great. Well, and did you have anything else that you want to share or touch on before we wrap up? Yeah, I mean, the only thing I would add is, you know, as I was saying with poetry in the right brain and with dreams, I also produce music as Get Tribal. So I'm on like Spotify and Apple and whatever else, but it's meant for that. One is called God of Drum, and I'm using different percussions from around the world to work through the chakra centers. Mm. So just like listening from track one to 10 is is an experience. There's a lot of intention in the composition. And then, you know, they're all, my music is also a way of ex- unleashing the truth in people, you know, their own, right. their own energy so or whatever. Oh, that's very cool. And that's good to know too, that, that if you're listening, that you could go on Spotify and check that out. Yeah. So do you do dream work with people? Work at one, you know, I have a lot of online stuff, yeah. but. Yeah. I mean, I do a little bit of one-on-one work, um, but mostly I I do my dream work with people within the Elevation Hive membership where people can share a dream in the forum. And I respond personally to every dream that's shared pretty extensively. But then I do have monthly dream circles where people can come and bring a dream. And then we we actually do dream reentry work and go back inside and work, the, work, go into each other's dreams using our active imagination. So yeah, that's really fun. Another fun way to work with dreams, mm-hmm. kind of bypassing, again, the logic mind that wants to analyze things from what we know, and then mm-hmm. instead accessing our, our intuitive, higher knowing, our imaginative knowing. Transcendental, like yeah. boundless mind. And I really, I was, I was very impressed with your website, I'm really, really happy to see all that you're doing too. So it's like, I feel like you're probably younger than me in in a different generation. I just am so honored to get to have this conversation with you, Carrie, and really love all that you've done and really honor that you are an elder in this work too, just in our field that you have really laid the groundwork and 
that your website's been around for a long time. You have millions of people visiting it every month. It's a huge resource for people. And your music and your art and all of the things that you offer, your books. So definitely you'll have to go check out her books. And do you want to just name the titles of your books again really quick? There's seven of them. So (laughs) (laughs) let's just say I write about nature's inspiration, dreams, and, you know, our ancient oracles. Wow. Well, I will put a link to all your stuff so people can look into that and dig in. Thank you so much. We'll hopefully connect again. for listening to this episode of A Lone Traveler's Guide to the Divine. Please check out Carrie Hone's website at cafeosoul.com. That's C-A-F-E-A-U-S-O-U-L.com. There she has an extensive blog on dream work and information on all of her amazing books, music, apps, and more. You can find her music on Spotify, Apple Music, and more under the title Get Tribal. I so appreciate you listening, and if you found value in this or in any episode, I would just love it if you would share this podcast with a friend, review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you may be listening, And if you would like more information about our Patreon, our membership, upcoming classes, or workshops, please go to elevationhive.com. That's E-L-E-V-A-T-I-O-N-H-I-V-E.com. Thank you so much for being here, for bringing your energy to the field through listening and supporting. And it is truly an honor to be in sacred community with you. We're all